0: back to That's a Good Word, a podcast designed to assist and equip Christians through advice from people in ministry. If you're blessed by our content, we'd appreciate if you liked and subscribed to our YouTube channel, and feel free to follow some of our social media accounts as well. It is a great honor today to have on Dr. Richard Blackaby, President of Blackaby's Ministries International. He's been very gracious to give us his time and share his wisdom with us today. Dr. Blackaby, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be with you today. Yes, sir. Um, We start every podcast. Many people are familiar with you and your ministry, but you give us maybe just a quick synopsis of your testimony and story, and then we'll start in asking some questions.
1: Sure. My father, Henry Blackbee, was a pastor. I grew up in a pastor's home. And so, of course, I was always at church. And I'm one of those kind of folks that God was just always real to me. So it's when you say, well, when did you transition from an unbeliever to a believer? <laughs> I, I always believed, I guess. But I, I do remember one day, uh, just when I was... Uh, and I was 7 years old and uh
0: and I would listen
1: very intently to my dad preach and and I truly just had a, a spirit of conviction coming over me as I, I I was a good kid I was a pastor's kid I I best I knew I believed what was being said uh and but then it just began to dawn on me but I've never done anything about it I've never prayed any prayers never talked to anybody I just I just believe it but I was 7 I was intimidated And I'll never forget just Sunday by Sunday, just this growing conviction. I needed to get something right. And I didn't really talk to my parents about it. I just was processing it myself. And, uh, but I remember one, one altar call. Um, I just, it was just too much. I just felt all of a sudden I was halfway out the aisle and I didn't even, hadn't even planned to to do that, but I was just, my body was just going to respond whether the rest of me was going or not. (laughs) And, uh, and I'll never forget just come around the corner and, uh, there, my dad was at the front to receive people. And, uh, I kind of blubbered away and just said, I just want to be a Christian. I, I want to settle this. And, uh, and so, uh, I've never had any doubt, uh, after that day that I, 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 I took care of business that day. And, uh, you know, I, I like, like, uh, everyone, you've got to work that out in your life, especially when you settle it early on in your life. But, uh, but it's just i've never really doubted that uh, at that moment something dramatic changed in my life and uh and i've never really looked back or mm-hmm. had second thoughts ever since
0: mm-hmm. yeah i can sympathize with someone that grows up in church it's, it's hard to kind of confuse maybe just religion doing the things and then mm-hmm. actually where your heart is and i i remember same thing you know was was for me for a very long time i just i was in church and i thought that was yeah, it, for me, I thought that was good enough, and it yeah. certainly wasn't the case, yeah. and I had to learn later on that wasn't. And it's it was. funny how
1: the Spirit of God works, you know, because there could be two preacher's kids at church every solitary time the doors are open, and some, you know, they, they're they in their 20s, and they still haven't settled that, mm-hmm. it, and then for me, I just really felt the spirit of conviction. I got no one, no adults had pulled me aside, and, asked me if I was ready it was just me and God working it out and but I got to where there was just a little battle taking place every service until I just didn't want to fight it anymore and it wasn't that I was rejecting or resisting God I was just scared I was just young and I I, you know I didn't understand everything but uh it's been interesting to watch that because I know parents they really want their kids to receive Christ but I just think you have to be careful you don't Push them before they're ready. Mm-hmm. You have to really watch the spirit of God at work, and uh, and for me, it was just obvious. That my dad never raised the question. You know, my mom, and dad just just trusted that God would work in my life if they just kind of kept me in that environment and let trusted God. And so, sure enough, they weren't they were caught by surprise that day when I right. walked the aisle because they had no inclination of that. But they had watched my life and the seriousness, and I think they suspected that God was doing something.
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, and we and we talked about, you know, just beforehand, I mean, all the ministry roles you've been in and how God's worked and how God uh, has set that up. Um, you know, looking back, you know, on, on, on your life, I mean, one thing for Christians that's, that's hard sometimes that we've talked about on the show is, is perseverance and, and running the race, actually getting to the end. Um, for Christians that are starting out, maybe like myself and others, or Christians that may be in the middle of the road and they're going through a difficult time, what have you found to be kind of some of the keys to persevering the race?
1: You know that's a great question. I spend a lot of time around pastors uh, that are struggling. I've I've gone for dinner with pastors that just wept through the whole dinner mm. time, and and their wives were just broken and empty and desperately wanting to get out, and it always broke my heart. Um, and I've looked at that, and it's not like I haven't gone through some hard times myself, and. But a, a couple of things I've observed, and one is, you 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 can't neglect your own walk with God. Your, your your ministry has got to come out of the overflow of your walk with God. You can't just come because that's your career, that that's your job, and you've got to be regularly going to the well yourself and uh, and nourishing your own soul, because ministry will dry you up, and you'll mm-hmm. be giving away and giving away to others. And one day you realize you've got nothing left for yourself, and so you have to just keep that relationship and uh and secondly, I would just say you've got to surround yourself with some friends, some people that speak into your life and and I just see that that's one of the biggest i think tactics of the enemy is just to isolate pastors, just get them where the only voices they're hearing are the the voices of their critics mm-hmm. and their opponents and and uh it's you know it's always amazed me you could have a pastor of maybe 200 people and he's got four or five that are kind of cantankerous and those four or five will run them away and there's a 195 people that love them and five people will run them off it's like well how can that happen well you you start listening to just certain voices and Mm -hmm. you don't surround yourself with prayer partners and accountability partners and other pastors and and so i just uh i guess i watched my dad do that he always he just always had a band of brothers around him and he just attracted them. And, um, and, and so there was always a fellowship, you know, he had his own time with God, but there was always a group and there were always people that would just lay their life down for my dad. And, and so I just wanted to do that as well. I wanted to just always have colleagues and uh, people I could just let my hair down with. And uh, even, even when I was a pastor, uh, there were a couple of late and I know there's a, there's a big debate about should pastors ever get close to people in their church, and mm-hmm. I just think it shouldn't even be a debate. I think you got to find find people you trust. I mean, be careful about who you get close to in the church, <laughs> but I think if you look uh, hard enough, you'll find a person or two that you can trust. It doesn't mean you tell them everything that's going on, but you got to have somebody that you let your hair down with, and you can right. just laugh, and you know they care about you, and and I had a couple of deacons um, in my church when I was a pastor, and they could just tell if I, if it was kind of a tough, maybe a tough business meeting or a tough mm-hmm. something that went went down in church. I just knew that they'd be inviting me and my wife and kids to come on over. Hey, we're gonna have a barbecue at my house. Why don't you just come on over after church and and hang out at our place? And we would laugh and joke and right. and I, it just helped me kind of keep perspective, and so. You know, probably two of the main things I'd say is just stay close to God and stay close to others. Uh, at least have somebody you can let your hair down with. Um, if you get isolated, it's I just think it's really hard to go through a whole lifetime of of ministry as a lone ranger.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this the stats on how many pastors and just people in ministry feel that feel lonely. It's it's staggering. Yeah. Um. It, it you know it, it's scary, but. I mean, you're right. I mean, most pastors I've spoken to, and they have something go on in their church, whether it be a scuffle or, you know, there's some type of uh, disagreement. Um, most of the issues they've spoken about are really only one or two people. They never yeah. really talk, told me and say, hey, the whole, there was half the church was a big split. It really only starts almost always with one or two people. Yeah,
1: yeah. And they always try to make it sound like there's a lot more right Uh, and it's 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 almost i mean it's just so predictable it's usually just a very small remnant that wants to sound a lot louder and bigger than they are Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. uh you know if you're if you're not getting affirmed by god and by others who do love you then it's going to shake your identity and your security to the core and just a handful of vehement opponents uh can do that and uh, you know i remember when i first came as a A pastor of a church it was dominated by one or two very very intimidating one guy in particular was very intimidating layman uh, that just was he I think he meant well but he just was determined to have his way and he he was big and he had a a, a influential job and he had a way he knew how to get in your face and Mm -hmm. and scare people and and uh and I you know I was not needlessly picking a fight with him that's kind of foolish why would I just pick a fight with a guy that's (laughs) A bulldog but but uh i but I but we were building a church, and we were uh, getting new members, and there were a lot of members I knew that really loved me, and they they did not want to lose me, and they were happy to follow me uh, they didn't want to follow that guy, but they were happy to follow me and i i, I basically was counting the votes <laughs> and i and I knew when there's just no way that I was going to lose a vote to that guy, and so I, mean, I didn't pick a fight but one day, it came down to it, either the, the church moves forward, or the church just stays where it is, and and this guy was opposed to moving forward, and I called him down. Normally, he just kind of announced, you know, where I, I'm against it, and we, we it would just sort of die out uh, right. in the business meeting, but I didn't let it this time. I said, all right, we've heard from him. Any other Any other comments before we vote? And I just made it very clear to him, you can say you're against it all you want, but I know I've got the support in the room to move forward Mm. and we're going to move forward. You're, you're not running this church. And, uh, um, and he was, I never forget the look on his face when he, when everybody, including his own wife voted for me and uh, he realized, (laughs) okay, I'm not leading this church. And I went up to him afterward, shook his hand. I said, Hey, you know, Appreciate right. your concern for the church, however misguided it might be. But right. I, I, I said, let me, hey, let's go for lunch next Sunday after church. I'd love to just take you and your wife for lunch. Mm-hmm. And I've worked on that relationship. And decades later, he still would come out to see me long after I was no longer the pastor there. Wow. Uh, I kept that relationship. But but I could have the courage to do that because I was, my walk with God and my my relationship with others in the church Gave me the confidence mm-hmm. that
0: uh, I don't have to be intimidated by this person. Right, certainly. Speaking on the other note that you talked about, just making sure you stay close with God. Sometimes, especially, I mean, people in ministry have difficulties. They'll not really. They'll kind of. They're trying to separate their Christian life and then their ministry life, mm-hmm. and they'll be. Or sometimes they'll latch together. They'll they'll spend their whole day pouring out to people, mm-hmm. and then they haven't really haven't poured in themselves. You know, been in the Word of God. And it's kind of something you have to be intentional with, yeah so in in your own life, how do you just how do you balance that to where you say i'm I'm pouring out to people I'm doing ministry, but at the same time, I've got to make sure I'm focusing on my personal walk as well
1: yeah, and I know a lot of pastors that feel guilty if they're actually caring for themselves. It's like, well, I've got to get all this, I've got to get by the hospital and I need to go see this person right right I need to go you know clean up from Sunday or whatever they might be feeling they need to do and it's almost they feel guilty if they just take time to pray or just to rest and have a sabbath or to just spend the first hour just in the word and just for, not for a sermon but just for their own nourishment and uh and so I would just say listen you can't give to others what you don't have yourself and so uh my dad kind of modeled that for me uh, I I called it uh uh leading out of the overflow and so his ministry was based on the overflow of his walk with God and his walk with God was so rich that it was just stuff kept spilling out of the, the saucer, you know, and right. just, and every, every time, if you saw him on any given day and just said, you know, what, Henry, what's, uh, what's God been saying to you? And he'd, he'd light up. He'd be telling you about that morning's quiet time and what God had said, mm. what he was learning. And, um, and so he always had something fresh for his people because he was always taking time for himself. And so, but I, but also I think there's just that pray without ceasing. I, I idea that i think you can't just limit your walk with god with your morning quiet time you you have to learn to just walk in the spirit uh and so you might be driving to the hospital or you might drive into a lunch meeting but can you be communing with the father as you do that can you be abiding in christ uh while you're getting ready for the next meeting at the church and um and there are just those times and i've found myself doing that where just you're just sort of having prayer times throughout the day, you know as God just puts things on your heart or someone on your heart, and it doesn't have to be formal and long but but just this ongoing dialogue throughout the day uh you can't really just function quiet time to quiet time, you can't say okay, it's like filling up your car every morning and then driving hard the rest of the day, you right. kind of need some pit stops along the way, and so uh you know start off with him that's I think the best way to do that, but uh don't think that'll just be enough, just one big breakfast, and then you don't have to eat any more the rest of the day. It's, uh, no, just learn to, throughout the day, just keep on abiding, you know, drawing near once again, and uh, just hearing a fresh word or sharing what, casting whatever cares
0: on your heart at the moment, mm-hmm. and then uh, carry on. Yeah, it's a phenomenal point, because many people think, if I'm going to do time with God, I have to make sure I'm in my room, my, my special spot, I'm yeah. do my quiet time, but no, I mean, it's it's really all throughout all the day. You know, you know? You know as, a, as
1: a pastor, sometimes you don't you don't have that luxury. You're mm-hmm. early in the morning. You're meeting with someone, and you were out late that night in a, at a hospital. And, right. And so your schedules are just, it would be great if you could just keep really strict office yes. hours every day. But uh, oftentimes, you're one phone call away from your whole schedule getting thrown out the window. And so right. you, you've got to learn how to just seize those moments along the way when you can
0: as well. Right, certainly. We'll talk about a little bit about Christian leadership. I mean, that's something you you worked on a long time. I'm just going to say it right now. There isn't a better book on spiritual leadership out there. Um, spiritual Leadership, Henry and Richard Blackaby, phenomenal book. You haven't picked it up, certainly do. And, uh, you know, I guess just kind of talking about, we'll talk about some of the things in the book. One age old question that people like to talk about is, are leaders born or are they made that way? Uh, I listened to one of your podcasts where you talked about that, and you said it's you know it's, it's both. Um, some people know that they're leaders when they're born, and some people don't feel that way. I mean, certainly in the Scriptures, there are plenty of people that didn't feel like leaders, and they were made to be. Mm-hmm. Do you find out that these leaders, I mean, are they, are they sometimes, is, is there's some molding that has to go on? Yeah, I think so. I think for some, it definitely
1: comes more naturally. I was the firstborn of five kids. Uh, and firstborns so often follow a stereotype of just being the responsible one, the mm-hmm. one your, yeah, your siblings maybe will defer <laughs> to. Or just the way, not always, but uh, often that that would be the case. And uh, and so there's some things that just come naturally. But even even then, you still have to learn how to lead. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been, I, I feel like leadership comes naturally to me. I I was the captain of some teams in, in high school, and I. I've been the president of everything I've ever led. I've been a senior pastor, president. Right. I've always kind of been the boss, I guess, all my all my adult life. So it's in one sense, it's come naturally to me. But, uh, but on the other hand, I've been a great student of leadership because mm-hmm. I just realized there's so much I needed to learn still. Because uh, you can have some natural talent. It's like being a professional athlete. You've got a strong, fast body that can jump and run or whatever. Uh, but you still have to train, right. You still have to have lots of practices and you have to learn how to do things properly and improve your stance or whatever it is. So I think with leadership, it's the same thing. You know, you might be gifted with some, some great natural attributes, but you still have to learn and study and make it. And and I didn't know that. I mean, when I went to seminary, there, there were no classes on leadership. (laughs) Uh, And so, and quite frankly, the professors were godly men but none of them were necessarily great leaders themselves they were scholars right and then, so you had scholars trying to teach people how to lead and uh uh and so i had to learn later uh, i got to my first church and and i i think i had a great seminary experience but they didn't teach me how to lead and i i learned very very quickly on that i i my sh- this ship was going to sink or or float not on the fact I had got an A in Hebrew, but the right. fact that I knew how to lead, and and I'd never been taught that, so I just began reading everything I could. I, I, I'd I make lunch dates with the, one of the senior pastors in the area and just pick his brain and just say, what do you do with this? I've got this person that's upset about that. What do I do? And, and I just kept learning, just kept asking. I'm still just, I don't pr- hardly ever travel anywhere without a leadership book that I'm Working on and thinking through, just still even years later, still trying to grow.
0: Right, certainly. Um, you know, someone who's been a leader yourself, and then you you've been with many leaders, surrounded surrounded by many leaders. Um, you dad being a leader. When you look over, I mean, are there qualities that every Christian leader has that you just are recognizable? Like when you, when you see it, it's like this, is what Christian leaders need to have.
1: Yeah, there's and there's there's a number. You know, I, I would say. Certainly a humility, in one sense, a humility that you, you don't take yourself too seriously. You know it's not about you. Um, it's if, if you're a pastor, it's not about, you know, this is not your church. You're, I call pastors, every pastor is an interim pastor. Mm-hmm. There's typically someone that was a pastor before you, and there'll be someone right. after you. You're a placeholder. So it's not your church. You're going to give that church up one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone else will come in and take over. So while you're there, be a good steward of what God entrusted to you and and give an account to him, so you know a humility that just says, my only goal really, oh, maybe not my only goal, but everything I've ever led, my goal has been when I hand it off to my successor, I just pray it's doing better than the way it was when it was handed off to me. I hope it's bigger, stronger, has more people, has more money, has more facility, whatever it is, but I just I hope it's better doing more. I, I in the time it was entrusted to me, I took it farther. But um, so I, you know, certainly that's a, a a quality of just humility that one this isn't mine, so I better be a good steward. But but also on the flip side of that, I think is confidence. I um, an unconfident leader is just not going to do a whole lot. Hmm. You you have to have the audacity to believe that if God's called you to be a pastor of this church, that he can he can help you to make it better regardless of what you face. And mm. if you don't believe that, you shouldn't really be in the job. And if you've ever tried to follow an unconfident leader, that doesn't mean you're a braggadocious leader. It doesn't mean you're arrogant. Right. It just right. means that I just know this is going to work out. And I remember uh, I'd been a pastor for only four years. And our denomination, w- I was in Canada, and this, this the seminary, uh, the denomination seminary in Canada, contacted me, and they said they... They were looking at me to be the next president. And I was 31 years old. I, I was if I, When they hired me to be the president, um, I was the youngest employee on the payroll. And I, and I was the boss. Wow. And no one wow. working there is younger than I am. But I'm, I'm in charge of telling everybody what they need to do. And, and so the trustees said, well, you've only been a pastor four years. You've never worked at a seminary. You're, you're very young, just barely into your 30s. Uh, and they just asked me, they said, well, how do you, I mean, they approached me. I didn't apply for the job. Right. <laughs> they, they reached out to me and right. said, we want to talk to you. But they said, but, if, but as you consider this job, how on earth do you think you could do this job uh, with that kind of lack of experience? And I said, well, I, I my confidence is not in the fact that I have a lot of experience running a school because I have mm-hmm. none. But I said, kind of like David said when they said, you know, how can you take on Goliath? He said, Well, I've never fought a giant before, but I did fight a lion before, and I did fight a bear before, and God always enabled me to do what I needed to do. Right. And I said, that's really with me. I said, every I've led at many different levels already in my life. And every solitary thing I've ever led, every solitary one has improved and done better and experienced success. And so I just assumed, not not because I was necessarily a brilliant leader, but but when I went and did what God told me to do, mm-hmm. God always equipped me to do what he told me to do. And so I'm just going to assume that if if you and I both feel clearly that God is calling me to be the president, that he will also equip me to be the best president that I could be. And so I said, I, he's never let me down yet. I don't know why he would start at this job. Right. And that, I guess that worked because they, they called me to be the president. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, to have that confidence, yeah. and i Certainly. I just see a lot of pastors who don't have confidence hmm. they don't have confidence to lead they're wishy washy I'm not saying you have to be a dictator, but I'm just saying if, you know if you're going to go into a building program, you decide if God really wants you to build that or not, and if he does, then don't balk every time you find out what it's going to cost or you know mm-hmm. or that you run into a hurdle with uh, the the town planning council or something right um, st- when you get in front of your people uh Speak with confidence. And, and I would say that even for something like uh, extending an altar call. I have pastors that don't see a lot of response time in, at the end of the service. But but the way that they speak to their people, it just cries out. I'm, I don't have confidence. That, you know, people will, The pastor will preach and they'll say, no, God may have spoken today. I'd say, well, what do you mean? He might have spoken. (laughs) You, you, did you not ask God for a word? Did you not? Did you not faithfully proclaim the word God gave you from His the Scripture? uh, And you might say, you you might want to respond. And I would say, well, don't. What do you mean? You might quit, quit being wishy washy. Right. Say, I know, I know you. You want to please your 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 Savior. You you want to respond to Heavenly Father and. And and now we're going to have an opportunity. And I know you're going to want to come. I know it, it, it's not manipulation. It's just saying, if if you spend all week trying to find God's word for your people and you share it as faithfully as you can, and you know how powerful God's word is, how powerful the Spirit is, then when you get up, speak with confidence. Right. Just have confidence. I I just can't tell you how many pastors, especially in smaller churches, that they don't even realize it. But you, if you, if I just walk through a video of a sermon and the the talking of a pastor I would say you just didn't you didn't inspire anybody by that announcement you 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 made an announcement about you know we're gonna have a men's breakfast on Saturday we hope some hope folks will come out we haven't had that great of attendance so far we're hoping it might be a little better next time it's like, <laughs> it's like I'm guessing it's not going to be with that like, right. like if you're going to have something be confident and uh, and so I I mean I could say a lot of other qualities and talk about those in the book, but in in one sense you have a humility because you know it's God, it's not you. But then you also have a confidence because you know it's God and not you. Right. And right. so get up there and speak like you
0: really believe that with God all things are possible. Right. Yeah. And if, if you're a pastor and you're trying to get the congregation to use their spiritual gifts to the best of their ability, and you don't and then you take the spiritual gift that God has given you and don't have confidence in it, it's hard to believe your congregation is going to have that same confidence of the yeah. gifts. Yeah,
1: well, exactly. And if you're struggling to obey what God's told you to do, why would you think your people are going to do that? Mm. I remember one time my dad and I were doing a leadership conference, and a pastor came up afterward, and he came to my dad, and he said, Henry, I really feel like God wants me to do this certain thing. But he said, but I've really been wrestling with God about that. And my dad just, he kind of caught him at a weak moment, I think, because my dad wasn't always like this, but he kind of got in the guy's face and he said who do you think god is Hmm. who do you think he is and basically this here's a guy who's letting everybody know i know what god wants me to do and i'm fighting him you know tooth and nail over it and then he turns around he wants to encourage his people to do what god's telling them to do Hmm. and he's just set Hmm. an example no i I said dad was saying so if you want your people to respond to god the way they see their pastor. How dynamic of a church do you think you're going to have if everybody wrestles with God every time God tries to get them to do something, too? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just say be very careful. So model confidence in God, confidence in his power, and your people are going to start having confidence that God can use them, too.
0: Right, certainly. One of the books speaks on many, in many different places is the prayer life of leaders and how important that is. Um, you know, in, in your own life, I mean, you're spending time with people pretty much. Pretty much all day, especially if you're a pastor mm-hmm. how do you make sure to be intentional about having that time with God where you're where you're talking to him?
1: yeah, and like I said, you know earlier it's uh you you clearly need to have time to pray mm-hmm. uh but prayer is not just again just what you do in your quiet time. prayer is communing mm-hmm. uh praying without ceasing, and so to be breathing in and out communion with God as you're throughout the day as well because there's uh there are times where suddenly you're facing something. Uh, and you just need to check in with God right now. But right. the meeting's about to start. I'm about to preach. I've, you know, I've had those moments. I, I was several years ago. I was asked to speak at a church, and uh, I got to the church. the The pastor was not the most organized guy, and <laughs> um, we've sung the music. It's time for me to get up and preach, and uh, I have a sermon ready, uh, and I'm ready to go and he's introducing me, and he says, uh, Richard, um, he wrote this great book. And he, he referenced a book I wrote about uh, grace, uh, putting a face on grace, and he said that book was so powerful and so helpful to me. Richard, I, I meant to ask you, and I don't think I ever did, but I would just love it if you could preach today on grace and something, maybe some teaching out of that book. Well, I'd, I'd written that book years earlier I hadn't even crossed my mind to speak on that that day I had a right. totally different passage and literally from sitting in the front row to walking up to the pulpit I'm breathing out prayer to God quickly God what do I do do I yeah. if I I don't have any notes I mean I wrote a book on it but I've got a there's a bunch of scriptures and chapters and points and I've there's, I've got no outline of where do how where do I go with that and or do I just stick with what the notes I've got with me here that I have prepared and and so I mean there's those moments where you're you can't say you know next quiet time I'm going to pray about this <laughs> it's like no I I've, I've got to be praying and I've got about 10 seconds to pray this through and then let God guide me to know what I need to do here right uh, and so the, yeah there are those moments where you're just all through the day you're you're praying and someone just shared something with you and you're not sure which way to go with that do i share a hard straightforward word with them do i show them grace do i do i challenge them what they just said uh do i risk losing that getting them upset uh god what do i do and mm-hmm. you've got to be just you're breathing in and out uh, prayer throughout the day as he guides you to know what to do and so you um it's not always pretty it's not always clean i i i remember uh They said that D.L. Moody used to scandalize people by the shortness of his prayers, but he was just a pretty direct, straightforward guy. And he he just said, hey, I tried having, you know, he he said one time, I tried to get up at four in the morning like Martin Luther. He said, and I just, I I got on my knees and I tried to pray as long as Luther did. He said, I just got up a real sore moody, he said, and I just thought I can't (laughs) do that. So he said, I just talk straight to God and I get on to business. And, But God used him mightily. Right, Uh, certainly. But it was not. Uh, maybe a conventional kind of prayer life,
0: but it was a very effective one. Hmm, certainly, is there is there a spot, especially with uh, for pastors, where if you're a leader, there's there's part of you that has to be able to say no sometimes. I mean, for leaders, I know a lot of pastors will say, "I'm trying to get time for sermon prep," and because I'm feeling I'm fulfilling these many different roles in this small church. You know, there's just not a lot of people. I'm trying to do all these things. Mm-hmm. Is there part of it where I say, "Hey, I have to, I have to say no to this this obligation"?
1: Yeah. Well, you know the, the the reality is you're saying no all the time. Mm-hmm. You're, you are saying. You're, you, people say I'm not I'm not any I'm not good at saying no. I'd say Oh no, yeah, you are. <laughs> you're very good at saying no. You you've been saying no to exercising for months. You know you need to exercise, but you you've been saying no to a diet for months because mm-hmm. you were just too busy to do that. So you just you kept saying yes to just eating whatever was in front of you. You kept saying yes to staying up too late the night before so you were too tired to exercise in the morning. But, but all those saying yeses to other things was saying no to what you need to do. So mm-hmm. I would say, no, what you need to start doing is start saying no to the right things. Mm-hmm. And because right. you're, you're saying no to a bunch of really healthy things that is going to cost you in the long run because you're saying yes to the wrong things. And so don't ever think that you're not saying, you're not good at saying, I mean, you aren't good at saying no, you're just, you're just saying no to all the wrong things. And right. so, but you're exactly right. I, you, you'd have to st- to start out and say, what are the most important things that I do? And I know some pastors, I mean, we are all drawn to do the things that we get the most pleasure out of. Um, and so if we love, I know pastors who just love to visit people in the hospital. They love to go by and visit the widow and have some tea and some cookies at their house. And, and they love to go have lunch uh, with one of the deacons and maybe hang out in the golf course with them. And they would say, "I'm just spending time with my people." Well, yeah, but was it but then on Sunday morning, you're giving them pablum every week. You're, hmm. you're giving them wow. uh, very unhealthy um, meal nourishment because you're out golfing with them during the week. And but the, the thing is, you're the only guy most of the time that can preach. I mean, they've got other adult Sunday school teachers in the church. They've got other ways to get certain things. But you are the foremost preacher in that church and you are neglecting the one thing that only you can do. So, um I would say start first identify what are the two or three things you must do well. Not just you must do, but you must do well. And then say no as many times as you have to until you're giving enough time to do those things well. Mm. Then you, then you start to look at whatever else is sort of the the gravy after that, but right. But I would say, what are your top, top priorities? And your priorities are not always just making, you know, doing the things that you get the most accolades from, mm-hmm. that are the most enjoyable to you. We all tend to think, because um, I, I, and i wrestle with this, I've got, I I try to run a 5K around my neighborhood when I'm home, and, uh, but I'll tell you what, every, I always have to get up first thing in the morning and have a cup of coffee or two, and I, I, you know, take a little time with the Lord to get kind of going, but I want to kind of wake up before I really right. <laughs> stagger into God's presence. And so then my thought is, well, I, I'm really enjoying sitting here at my desk, and I could there's a lot of things I could do that would just be much more enjoyable than putting on my tennis shoes and running around the neighborhood for 5K. Right. Um, but if I don't do that a couple times a week, like when I'm sitting uh, eating out on the road all the time, uh, it's going to be bad. And so... I have to say no, not to things that are bad. I'm not going to sit there and say, should I go running today or should I sit here at my desk and watch pornography? You know, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, not I'm not saying no to bad things. I'm saying I, I could be answering some emails. I could be reading this Christian book. I could be working on this sermon. There's lots of good stuff, but I've got to say no to good stuff because I've got to say yes to the critical stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to last long in ministry.
0: You better learn early on in ministry what you need to say no to. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Thank you for that. And shifting gears a little bit here, we're going to speak about um, some other things as well. One thing I know just as we shift is um, for many pastors, for many just people in the Christian life, just Christians, they have trouble discerning God's will at mm-hmm. a certain time in their life. They, they say, I don't know what God wants me to do next. I don't know exactly where my next steps are. For people that are struggling to find God's will, how, what advice would you give to those people? Well, there's a lot,
1: uh, a lot to say about that. But one is first realize there is a will. God does have a will, mm-hmm. um, and it's not. I think a lot of times we assume that we just need to kind of figure out what we're good at, uh, where we're gifted. You know, we we do most of the work in figuring out God's will instead of letting God show us His will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I trust God to show me His will, and so uh, we say, "Well, I want to know God's will," but then we do all the figuring we get the sheet of paper. What mm-hmm. am I good at? What am I not good at? What are the pros? What are the cons? What do people say I should be doing? And we're doing all the work instead of trusting God to guide us. And so, I would say let him guide you first of all. And uh at second in the in the meantime, uh you know, God's will is if you're a disciple of Jesus, your calling as a disciple is to follow him. Mm-hmm. That's that's what disciples do. They follow Jesus. And so when someone says, well, I'm not sure what to do. I said, well, of course you know what to do. Follow Jesus. Very simple. So where is he leading you right now? Well, right now, God's got me serving in my church, and I'm working at the school, and I've got this job, and, and I'm in school doing this. I said, well, it sounds like you're, you're following. Well, That's, that sounds like a lot of following. Yeah, but I don't know, I'm not sure what to do next. Well, have you finished what God's given you to do right now? Well, no. Well, then why would you need to know the next thing? Just right. Keep following, keep being faithful. And I was sharing you offline. Uh, I've never applied for a job as an adult. I, well, I mean, once I got out of school right. and I was in my ministry career, I've changed careers. I've had three different careers in ministry. I've never, I don't even have a resume. I've never applied for a job. Every job I ever had, I said, I'm not saying that you should never do that. I'm just saying for me, I was completely content to retire in every job I've ever had. Mm. I've, every job I've ever had, i thought, wouldn't it be awesome just to spend my whole life doing this? And so I just embraced it. I, I, I did it as everything I had. I was uh, loving it. I was you know, envisioning all kinds of things for the future. And literally uh, every time one day God just came and made it very clear to me that my days were done. And And every time I left a job, that ministry was at its peak. It, it had never done better. Right. And then God said, now now, move on. I'm like, mm. Why move on? I spent all this time <laughs> building this thing up. Now it's going great. Yeah, but I got more for you to do. Uh, don't get tied down. Sometimes I'd come home and my wife, I'd find my wife crying. And I'd, Lisa, what's going on? She'd say, I, I just know we're going to be leaving here. What, why, what do you mean leave here? We got a great gig going here. It's great. <laughs> People love us. We love them. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. And then sure enough, she just could sense that the spirit was beginning to move and neither one of us wanted to go. I've cried every time I've left the job. I've wept as I walked out the door. I broke my heart to leave people I loved and jobs I loved. But God made it so clear. I I had no choice. I had to leave. And I've had people say, well, do you miss your previous job? I say, I miss the people. I miss those times, but I have no doubt that God told me you need to move on. And so... I would just say, trust God to show you, uh, but don't get ahead of God. If if he, if he hasn't moved you on yet, are you being totally faithful in the job that you do know he wants you to do right now? Mm. Uh, and the best way to move on to the next job is to be a very good steward of the job he's given you at the moment. I know, I know people who check out of their current job because they're all ready for the next thing, and they don't end well. And I would say, I, every job I've left, we left at the peak. And right. I think that's, I mean, you can't always do that, but that, that'll that be your goal Right is right to the very, I mean, the last day uh, that I was pastor of a church, we were baptizing people. We're, I mean, I'm the last guy to leave the church building, the last day I ever worked there. The, yeah. the, uh, and I'm seeing people out the door and loving on people and blessing them. And when I was done, I walked out the door and it had been a full day. And the next day I got in my car and I headed off to the next job. And I just feel, feel like just just follow Jesus as he leads you. Don't get so hung up on what's next. just if you can see enough to do tomorrow, you know do you know enough to do tomorrow then <laughs> do right. tomorrow well, and if you keep doing tomorrow well, one day you'll end up perhaps in a whole new job
0: because you just kept following Jesus day by day. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Part of the uh, equation there is so important is that knowing that God's ways are higher than our ways. yeah, um, speaking about another book here, another phenomenal book, The Ways of God. Um, how God reveals himself before a watching world. And this goes through many of the ways of God. Uh, one most encouraging one um, to me was that God is eternal and hmm. speaking about how God's ways are and how he sees time differently and just sees yeah. things differently than we see them. Um, you know, this book can be such an encouragement to the Christian because we can sometimes think about things on our linear plane down here. But when we think about God and the way he works, we can be greatly encouraged by knowing that we have a God that works and works in ways that we can't even fathom.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I I look at the church, and I see a lot of very well-intentioned, hard-working, God-loving people. But churches that are struggling, churches that are declining, churches that haven't grown in years, churches that are failing to reach the next generation. And you just think, surely if, they, if, if God was in charge of this church, I mean, if Jesus literally physically walked in the building and said, all right, I'm taking over, we need to make some adjustments here, I I just I don't I can't imagine there's a church on the planet that Jesus wouldn't have a few adjustments he'd want to make. Right. Um, and and so I'm always thinking, truly, if we were doing church God's way, mm-hmm. would we be declining still? Would we be failing to reach our own neighborhood if we were doing everything God's way? And I don't think so. I think the problem is so often you see the church is trying to do God's work the world's way, mm-hmm. and and then God doesn't bless it. God's not because with God, what you do matters, but how you do it matters just as much. It's possible to do the right thing, but to do it the wrong way. Mm. That's why I see a lot of pastors. Um, they're working hard, and I've never had people say, you know, "I'm Richard. I can't work any harder." I'd say, "Well, you know, God doesn't actually tell you to work hard. He just tells you to, I mean, to to bear fruit, like to do things His way. If you, and, and that might be the problem. In fact, the, the reason your work might." be so hard is because you're not doing it God's way (laughs) If you're doing it God's way you'd have God's power you'd have his blessing but you're not doing it his way and so it's all up on it's up to you and your power and 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 you're finding it hard and so I would just say you know God blesses his ways because his ways bring glory to him Mm -hmm. and so I I tell you there's a lot of churches if you really push them well why are you doing it that way well because we've always done it that way Mm. yeah but but why that I mean Besides that, why why do you think the church does it that way? Well, I don't know. It's just how we've always done it. Well, but you've never had any success doing that mm-hmm. way. I mean, that's how you do you know you you do youth ministry, but you you don't have any youth. Why would you keep doing it that way? Right. Well, because that you know that's how it was done when I was in youth. Well, yeah, but it's you know it's like but the church just has a really hard time putting their ways. On the altar and saying, "God, is there a better way? Is there your is your way different than this way?" And my dad used to always say that if he had a plan that made perfect sense to him, then it probably wasn't from God, hmm. because he said, "Because my <laughs> thoughts are not his thoughts, his ways are not my ways." So if I if I come up with a plan and it's like, "Yeah, that's exactly how I would do it," then then be cautious, right? Because it may well be a man made plan that makes sense to people. But it's not the way God would do it.
0: Mm. Sometimes in America that we we equate um, doing what we should do with what makes us comfortable,
1: yeah. and
0: we're not necessarily called to live comfortably or do things comfortably in the church. Um, certainly, the scriptures wouldn't, wouldn't you know, contend for that. I mean, many people that are called to lead or you know the way that God calls people and God God calls Israel, it's uncomfortable at times. Yeah. Um, is, should there be a call in the American church? Say, hey, we need to get a little more uncomfortable. Get our hands dirty. Yeah. Well, you know, it says, uh, you know, we want to follow Jesus. But he said, well,
1: first deny yourself and take up your cross. Hmm. Well, can I skip that part? I just want to get to the following part. Right. No, there's a way to follow Jesus. And you don't follow Jesus just simply by picking and choosing what you do. Hmm. You get out of your comfortable boat and you start following him to a place you don't even know where he's going to end up. Uh, there's a lot of unknown uncertainty about that. All you know is you see the back of Jesus and you make sure he stays in your view. Right. And wherever he goes, you go. Regardless of whether people appreciate you, whether they treat you the way you feel you sh- you deserve to be treated, whether you know what's coming around the bend, all you know is there's Jesus, and my calling is to follow Him wherever He goes. Um, and so, yeah, we we want a lot more assurances than that. Well, I want to know how it's going to work out, God. It said, you're not. I didn't tell you that's how it worked. I just said follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when the disciples said, "Well, where are you staying, Jesus?" <laughs> he said, "Come and see. Follow me, and you'll find out." When the when the evening comes, wherever I am, that's where we'll be staying. Mm. Uh, so let's go. And while for a lot of us, we're way too uncomfortable with that. Right. But that's that's really what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I've I've had to look at and certainly as a leader, though, and I don't think it's wrong to read lead, uh, secular leadership books. I I've read lots of them, but just be careful with that because the world does not do things God's way. There's certainly some leadership lessons you can learn. There's some leadership principles, I think, that cross over from Christian to secular. Um, But be careful that you don't just assume that what Disney is doing, what Apple is doing, or Microsoft is doing, is just what the church should be doing. Uh, Because the church does things God's way. Mm -hmm. Secular businesses are not obligated to do things God's way. But the church is. And we, we ought to be. Because how you do something reflects on God. Mm-hmm. and so you want to do things in a way that brings maximum glory to god right
0: certainly um i watched a youtube short of you and i, I absolutely love what you said I'm talking about jesus and then him going to the towns um and i believe you know one of the things was I and mean, he goes to his hometown nazareth he, he does miracles but then you know he leaves and um you know he, nothing nothing happens there unfortunately and there's you're talking about basically a measure of faith and and, and you're talking about basically the quote you said was, We basically get enough, as much of God as we want.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, I mean, is there, is there kind of that in America right now where we're, we have an opportunity and we can get much more from God that we want, but we basically are getting all, we're not getting what we, we're getting as much of God as we want, but we're not getting everything that we can get. Yeah.
1: You know, and that, that story in Nazareth, it says, You know, he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Mm-hmm. Uh, And oftentimes in the Gospels, it will say Jesus will say, "Be it done to you according to your faith." And now, if if that is how he relates to you and me, then it's pretty easy to to, to measure our faith. Just look and see what God's doing. Mm-hmm. If he wow. give if he gives to you what you believe him for, all I gotta do is look and see what he's giving you, and I can figure out what your faith like. Can I? You know, I mean, it's I mean, I I, I I'm always a little squeamish about anything that limits God, because God can do whatever he wants, but it just seems that he chooses so often to not give you more than you will believe him for. Mm. So um, if, you, if you go to a church that has not grown in years, and deep down in your gut you're not sure it's ever going to grow, I doubt that you're going to turn it around. If you go into a church and you really believe um, that with God all things are possible, then you're going to act differently. You're going to talk differently. You're going to lead differently. Certainly. Uh, and and I, but there's people that, uh, you know, I, I, and I, you know, I try to be careful not to judge uh, folks, but cause I haven't walked in all their shoes, but, but I, I had a pastor one time say, Richard, I know you, I know you, you blackabees don't believe in this, but he said, uh, I, the last church I pastored, I had to shut it down. He said, there just wasn't any way. I mean, we, we, he said, Richard, we had no choice. We, we, we were down to where we couldn't pay the bills and they couldn't pay a pastor. And, there was just no way out, and so we had to shut it down. And I said, "Well, you're right." I said, "I don't agree with that because I think even at the last moment, God is able to to, res- to, to take a church at the desk door, and turn around." But I said, "But tell me something. How long were you at that church?" Well, he was there about twelve years. And I said, "So, I'm just going to guess. I said I don't know all the details, but I'm just going to guess that you might have felt like in the final months you had no option." But 12 years earlier, did you have options then? Did you have more people then? Did you have more money then? But you didn't make any adjustments. And 11 years ago, you still had options. 10 years ago, you had options. But for years as a leader, you didn't take the options. You didn't change. You didn't cry out to God. You didn't cry out for revival. And so you just kept letting, you just kept doing the same things that hadn't been working for years. You kept dwindling. You kept declining. You didn't make any significant changes. And then finally, when you're at death's door, you say, well, we had no choice. We had to die. And I would say, well, maybe at the last moment, you, ha- you didn't have much choice. But that's because you forfeited 12 years of choices that mm. you did have. And so don't say, and, and so, you know, I, I would say, you know what? I think God gave you and your church what you believed him for. Mm. You, you never really truly believed he could turn things around, so you never tried anything. Uh, or you never really stuck with it and and watched God provide for it. And so you got what you didn't really believe deep right. down that God right. could save your church. And lo and behold, your church died. Mm. And then I've seen other people go into churches in far worse shape than their church was. And God absolutely just exploded it with growth and change. But they came into it believing God could. And so lo and behold, that's what he did. So right. that's why I think one of the first things you have to say um, is, God, help me in my unbelief. I look at this sorry state that this church, this, this organization's in, and Lord, I, try, I I confess to you, there's moments where I'm not so sure, so help me in my unbelief. Help me to have such a high view of God that I believe that I can go into the most hopeless situation
0: imaginable, and if God is with me, then anything is still possible. Mm, amen, and we can be confident that God's ways are faithful, and he will be faithful yeah, to the faithful God is
1: a powerful God, and if you're not seeing... I mean, everything God does. I remember one time I was uh, in a meeting with my dad, and guy guy pray, uh, was praying, and he said, God, would you, I just pray that you would come in power. And my dad leaned over to me uh, and said, that's the only way he ever comes. Mm. He never comes except powerfully. Uh, but if you're not believing him for power, if you don't really believe that he's a powerful God, that he can come into a declining church and turn it around in power, then you're not going to see that power. You won't experience, he is a powerful God. He's just not going to demonstrate it for you because you don't really believe that he has that. Right. And so I would say, you know, if people would say to my dad, they'd say, well, Henry, why is it that God just does all these amazing things wherever you are? <laughs> I'd say, well, <laughs> you know what? You've got the exact same powerful God that I have. Hmm. So the difference must be not God, because God's the same for both of us. So the difference must be what we believe about that God, because I believe there's no place I can go that God is not with me in power, certainly. and so I just expect Him to do powerful things. Hmm. Why
0: is and then you have to ask, so why is God not doing the same for you? Hmm. Yeah, certainly, Doctor Doctor Black. We're running up on time here, but just so thank you so much for giving us your time. I want to say again, if you haven't picked up either of these books, The Ways of God or Spiritual Leadership, certainly do. Dr. Blackaby has written a number of books, so we can't put them all out there today. Um, we are going to give a link in the description to his website and also um, a link in the description to Amazon, to his author name. That way you can look at all his books on Amazon, or you can also find the books, I believe, on the website as well. Yep. I'm not, okay. Yeah. Blackaby.org. Find, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And yep. certainly keep up with all the great things that their ministry is doing, their international ministry, doing things all over the world and continue to be praying for their ministry and and um, for Dr. Blackaby as well and his safety and, and all he's doing. Dr. Blackaby, thank you so much. For anything else you want to go before we close up? No, here? just
1: I, I, you know, I just say, especially if you're a pastor, or you're considering that that's where God's calling you. That I just can't imagine a greater uh, assignment than God could give you to do that. It's a privilege. It's honor. And God will hold you in his powerful right hand. And uh, just trust him. Trust that he knows what he's doing.
0: Mm. And that anything he calls you to do, he will equip you to do it well. Mm. Certainly. Certainly. Dr. Blackbee, thank you so much. I'm Wilson Paris, and that's a good word.